Welcome to another edition of the official Jets podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. Okay, here we go again on this episode. We're going to touch on some official re-signings. Yes, official. The Jets officially made a couple moves, reportedly brought in another pair of moves last night, reportedly agreeing to terms with Prashad Paraben earlier today. Today is Wednesday, March 25th. It is 4.24 p.m. A couple hours ago, reportedly agreed to terms with the linebacker, formerly of the Baltimore Ravens, Patrick Owasu. And then this is going to be a wide receiver heavy podcast here. EA and I are going to break down who's on the Jets roster. And then basically we're going to talk about who they could add, but mainly through the draft scope because this receiver class is so rich. It's not even just up top with the guys like Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb, but you go to day two and day three, could still find some viable options there. So without further ado, EA, let's just kick things off here. Hello. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. Hey, Greens. Uh, Very good being with you as always. We're thinking about a lot of folks out there as we do this each and every day. Um, New York State, the cases have doubled over the last couple days of uh, COVID-19. And there's more than 61,000 cases throughout the country. 860 deaths and there's a lot of people on the front lines of this right now and those are doctors and nurses and people making masks and supplies and beds trying to make beds available and things like that so we're thinking about everybody out there um who's trying to help the greater good and also uh, people who are who've been impacted um whether it's their friends or family, maybe uh, people are dealing with this illness right now. So, uh, again, we're very fortunate to be talking football, talking Jets football as free agency rolls around. But uh, I want everybody to know out there that the entire Jets organization is thinking about um, the, the folks out there who are helping the greater good each and every day. Very well said. And today the Jets, you know, let's just dive into it here. The Jets officially brought back inside linebacker Neville Hewitt, officially brought back Bennett Jackson. And then a couple hours ago, it was reported that the Jets agreed to terms with Patrick Owasu. That's the Pat, that's the, not, that's not the Patrick. That's the proper way to pronounce his name. Patrick Owasu. Owasu. I said Owasu. Owasu. It's Patrick okay. Owasu. His nickname Even is Peanut. So office. can I call him Peanut? <laughs> you can call him Peanut. Hey, listen, uh, a Baltimore Raven connection. Again, uh, started six games for the Ravens last year, and he had three sacks. He started at middle linebacker, and then he made the transition to will linebacker. But on the surface right now, you're looking at the Jets' inside linebacker position. Wow. Strength in numbers. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned it. Uh, it you know, so uh, Hewitt becomes official. He did some great things last year for this team Third and tackles. And you know who he's behind? James Burgess. And James Burgess resigned as well with this team. Uh, but you think about reportedly, the Baltimore. Reportedly oh, resigned. Oh, there you go. Thank you for uh, correcting me. It's hard to um, It's hard make, to keep up, yeah. Yes. So uh, bottom line, here, here's another guy who's got, got a lot of great experience. Uh you know, flies around the football. Uh, C.J. Mosley, very familiar with Anawaso. Uh, how, how was that pronunciation, by the way? Anawaso. Hey, hey, well, you, you, you're putting the N in there. There's no N. It's Owaso. 
Owasso. Okay, I'm sorry. So, uh, Peanut coming here uh, reportedly. So, listen, you got C.J. Mosley, Avery Williamson, Blake Cashman. Uh, they aforementioned Neville Hewitt and Burgess. And now... Um, and Blake Cashman. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, listen, uh, it, you got to look at these in terms of it's great depth and you have great frontline players. Uh, if you get C.J. Mosley back healthy, he only played one game full strength for you last year. Uh, so Joe Douglas staying active here. Multiple waves in free agency. And I know we were talking about yesterday, Robbie Anderson reportedly agreeing to terms with the Carolina Panthers and us talking about Joe Douglas having a plan. Well, we're seeing the plan unfold by the hour here, Greens. Yeah, no doubt about it. One thing about Owasso, Marlon Humphrey, the Ravens' all-pro corner, said this about Owasso. He said, that's one guy that's always flying around. He definitely works hard, but what makes him really elite is how fast he plays. That's who Peanut is. And that's that's all that I, I want to say about Peanut Owasso. But here's, to your point before, Robbie Anderson reportedly agrees to terms with the Panthers, and then a couple hours later, Maybe not even that. Maybe it wasn't even that long. It was reported that Joe Douglas and the Jets agreed to terms, reportedly agreed to terms with Brashad Perriman. And Perriman was the first round pick in 2015. And actually, that was Joe Douglas's last draft class with the Baltimore Ravens before he went to the Chicago Bears. All right. So let's clarify a couple things here. And number one is the official Jets re signings that the organization has. Announced Neville Hewitt, Bennett Jackson, Jackson, Alex Lewis, and Brian Poole. So those are the four officials. Uh, the rest of them uh, reportedly agreed to terms, and that includes Perryman. Uh, interesting career arc for this guy, Greens. What was he drafted with the 25th overall selection? 22 sixths. 26th overall selection in 2015 out of Central Florida. Love his size. 6'2. 215 pounds. Love his speed. Uh, coming out, uh, 40 yard times were in the high four ones and the high four twos. Whatever you want to say it was, whether four ones, four twos, the guy can straight out fly. Now, it didn't work out for him at Baltimore. He had a couple other stops. And then in Tampa Bay last year, what happened was Jameis Winston, 30 30 club, right? 30 touchdowns, 30 interceptions, but they had an awfully productive passing game vertically. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Godwin gets hurt later in the year. Evans got hurt later in the year as well. So Perryman was able to get valuable reps down the stretch. So over the course of those final five games, you got production of 25 catches, 506 yards receiving. Five touchdown catches, I believe, against Detroit late in that year, late last season. He had a performance where three touchdown catches, 113 yards receiving. He ended his Tampa Bay Buccaneers career with a run of three straight 100-yard receiving games. So this is a guy who early on struggled in the National Football League, but what happened in Tampa, very encouraging if you're looking at it from a New York Jets perspective. So Joe Douglas talked about the need for speed in Indianapolis, right? 
Speed creates pressure. Pressure bursts pipes. Uh, Robbie Anderson certainly could fly, but so can Rashad Perryman. And when you look at the Jets from the receiver position now, Jamison Crowder was great last year. 77 catches, 833 yards receiving, six, uh, um, six touchdown catches. Now you add Perryman to the mix, he's more of an outside guy. Who's going to be lining up outside Perryman next year for the green and white? We're in late March. Plenty of time to find that answer. Yeah, and I think Jets fans are encouraged, to your point, by the way Perryman ended his 2019 campaign. Really seemed like he started to put everything together. And in weeks 13 to 17, the last five games for Tampa Bay, he had 506 receiving yards, which ranked third in the NFL. He was tied for first with five touchdowns, and he had 25 receptions in that span. I mean, he had 645 yards last year, so really the bulk of it came at the end. And he averaged 17.9 yards per reception overall in 2019, not just in that span. And to your point, when you look at the landscape right now, you think Perriman's probably lining up out wide. And of course, you know what you're getting out of Jamison Crowder. And another something else that I want to bring up in terms of the passing attack, not just the receivers, is the addition of, it's not even an addition, but it's kind of an addition of, of Chris Herndon just being healthy and entering next season with a clean bill of health because I think that's something that the Jets missed last year. Ryan Diffin, Ryan Diffin, Ryan Griffin did a great job filling in for Herndon, but to have Herndon and Griffin back both healthy, I think that does wonders for Sam Darnold entering his third season, regardless of who else Joe Douglas decides to add at the receiver spot. Uh, it's a very good point. Uh, you you got to like where the Jets are at from the tight end uh, position, at the tight end position. You got depth there. You have a nice one-two punch. Griffin was very good for this team last year, and Joe Douglas, uh, in one of his most significant early moves, I guess, in season anyway, he signs him to an extension, and Griffin's kind of a guy do everything. Good in-line blocker. Uh, can catch the football. He developed a good rapport with the quarterback, which is big. You know Sam Darnold likes throwing to his tight ends, and he had that chemistry with Chris Herndon. Now, big year for Herndon coming up because if you add Herndon into the mix, he is a guy who can stretch the field vertically. There's that term again when we're talking about explosive athlete. Um, from a tight end position, a position uh, uh, from the tight end position, uh, he is blessed with very good speed. So you like that combination that you're provided if both of those guys are available to you and Griffin and Herndon. Oh, Le'Veon Bell, too, remains one of the top pass catching backs out of the backfield. Um, so he's going to be there for Sam Darnold. He's got the thing going. He's got a good thing going already with Jameson Crowder. Now you bring in Perryman, who still is just 26 years old. So if he can build off his end of the year, what he was doing in Tampa, uh, you know, I think this is a low risk, high reward kind of acquisition for Joe Douglas and company across the way. We saw some flashes from Vincent Smith last year, not only as a kick return man, but uh, offensively, too. And he is also a guy who fits that mold of big and he can run. Yeah, he's got great speed. 
And Vincent Smith is listed at 6'3", but somebody else that's listed at 6'2", that's Josh Doxson. And I know we've talked about him a little bit before, but Josh Doxson, to me, is another low-risk, high-reward type of signing that Joe Douglas has made this offseason. And when you look at the Jets' landscape at receiver, somebody else that we unfortunately only saw a little bit of, but that was Jeff Smith. And Jeff Smith was an undrafted free agent. He spent all season on the practice squad. He finally gets called up against the Ravens, and then he gets placed on injured reserve. And remember, he almost connected with Sam Darnold down the sideline, and I think he had another catch in that game. He's somebody else that's known for his speed. So I think that Joe Douglas, you know, we said he was a man of his word in terms of the offensive line and adding there. Well, the addition of speed is also clearly something that is going to be monitored from now until the regular season, and especially at the receiver spot. You think of everybody who's on the roster. Well, I don't know if you want to dive into the draft now or if you want to touch on any of these guys that I just mentioned, but this draft class, EA, we've talked about it a lot, is loaded from the top, as in Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb, to rounds three and four. I want to go to the draft in just a moment. Uh, what you brought up was a very important point. I'm not saying Josh Doxson is going to come in here and just have a 70-catch campaign and 1,000 yards or anything like that. I don't think that's realistic. But again, under the radar, like you, you talked about before, that's a former first-round pick. And for whatever reason, it didn't really click in Washington – but the numbers weren't bad if you look at 2017, 2018. 502 yards receiving in 17. 532 yards receiving in 2018. Eight combined touchdowns those two seasons. So when we think about the Jets receivers and off uh, offseason signings, nobody's talking about Doxson. So He's kind of a wild card. I consider him a wild card right now because he's new to your program. He played just one season for the Minnesota Vikings. But uh, he he just played one game for the Minnesota Vikings in 2019. But let's see eventually, and we will eventually be back out there on the practice field. Let's see how he is incorporated and how he makes that transition um, here to the New York Jets. No doubt about that. And I'm glad you mentioned Jeff Smith, but he's another guy who can run. Uh, But, yeah, let's move forward to the draft because I know people are licking their chops. We're less than a month away from the draft. So many enticing storylines. And uh, most notably, I guess, for Jets fans, it might be the wide receiver position. Yeah, I know I feel like I'm beating a dead horse when I'm saying this, but the wide receiver class is loaded. There's no way around it. It's loaded. And you look at all the different rankings from the different draft experts, there's a lot of talent by player ranking, not necessarily mock draft, but by the way that they rank their players. And I'm just looking at Daniel Jeremiah's top 50, who does a great job for NFL Network, and he has Oklahoma's CeeDee Lamb as his ninth overall prospect. Jerry Judy at 10, Henry Ruggs, the speedster out of Alabama at 11, and then at 14, he has LSU wide receiver Justin Jefferson, who's largely been mocked in the back half of round one, maybe even in some cases the early parts of round two. So the talent here is loaded, and most mock drafts have 
all of these guys available at 11 when the Jets are selecting. So it'll be very interesting to see how the draft plays out ahead of the Jets, but it seems that they're going to have an option at receiver if they decide to take one. Well, yeah, and we ran through Kuyper's mock draft on Tuesday's episode. You could be sitting there at 11 if you indeed stay there, and every receiver is still on the board. The thought, I think, early on from a lot of draft pundits and prognosticators that we've talked throughout the offseason is if anybody goes, it would be Judy and or Lamb prior to 11. Um Daniel Jeremiah, I'm glad you mentioned him, Greens. He thinks, don't be surprised here when we get to late April. And Henry Ruggs is actually the first receiver taken overall, which I would kind of be surprised after we went to Indy, we talked to everybody there and things like that. I kind of thought the consensus was Judy and or, uh, or, or Lamb, but not Ruggs. But Ruggs is a wild card in this mix because when you hear the name Tyree Kill and people speak of Ruggs in that same kind of way, yeah, that catches your ear. You know, I think in terms of Ruggs, I think Tyree Kill is so special because not only is he so fast, but he's quick and he's kind of built like a running back. Like he's a thick player, whereas I think Ruggs is a little bit more of a long strider and all season long, I've talked with the Athletics' Dane Brugler, and we've been breaking down the college prospects. And something that he said about Henry Ruggs is a lot of speedsters, a lot of track athletes get this soft label, and that is not the case with Henry Ruggs. He's a core special teamer, and he's a competitive SOB. And I think that that also plays into Ruggs' favor. Uh, unfortunately, after running the 4-2-7-40 in Indianapolis— he kind of tweaked, I think it was a hamstring or whatever it was, and he was not able to participate in the rest of the drills. So I'm actually curious for somebody like Henry Ruggs, whose tape clearly matches the production and then ran out of the gym at Indianapolis, but isn't going to be able to participate in any drills by not having a pro day. How does that affect his stock? And someone who was projected in the later half of round one and maybe even round two, somebody like T Higgins, who is the receiver out of Clemson. He's a big bodied guy and he was extremely productive for the Tigers this season, the past two seasons, really. He doesn't have a pro day anymore because of everything that's going around. So he actually decided to rest at Indianapolis. He didn't do anything. So how does something like that affect his draft stock? I'm just curious. I'm spitballing here. But I wonder if he'll fall because of that. I don't know, because this whole pre-draft lead up is. We're an uncommon. We're walking on unfamiliar ground, I should say. And we've never went through anything like this as a country or the National Football League. As far as we don't even know what the draft is going to look like, Greens. Because it's not taking place in Las Vegas. So right now you're hearing about teams not coming back to their complexes, their respective facilities. So they're going to have all those pre-draft meetings, you know, via technology, just like we're sitting at home taping a podcast. That's that's what's going to happen for the Jets. So Joe Douglas, um, John Carr, um, 
Phil Savage, Rex Hogan, everybody, they'll all get together and they're going to have to meet um, and discuss all these prospects and go over film from afar. So, uh, you know, we're definitely stepping into a, a pool that we've never entered prior. So, um, it, it totally different bit because uh, nobody's going to be visiting these prospects. The 30 pre-draft visits are off, of course. Like I said, nobody's at the facility, so at the respective facility. So it, it's uh, very interesting. And then when we get back to the top, so it, would you say, Greens, and all the study you've done so far and all the conversations you've had with Burglar, do you think that it's almost a certainty that C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Ruggs will be the top three off the board? Would you be shocked that a receiver gets in front of one of those guys? I would refrain from the word shocked just okay. because I feel like the draft is uh, is so predicated on shocking selections or shocking in terms of ranks. Like somebody that comes to mind, like there's always that one guy that nobody expects to go as high as they do, and they do go that high. I mean, the one that stands out to me just from when I was little, uh, remember Tyson Alualu? Yes. The name? So, like, Tyson Alualu, I don't think was supposed or projected to go as high as he did. So, I, long story short, I would refrain from the word shock, but I would be surprised, yeah, because all the, all the, talk, all the talk right now that you hear is CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs as the upper echelon. And then after that, you get into the next tier, which is like Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State, and... I think that I would be surprised if I think I think I'd be surprised if somebody like Justin Jefferson leapfrogged CeeDee Lamb, Jerry Judy, and Ruggs, especially when you consider that people like Dane Brugler and Daniel Jeremiah both wouldn't be shocked if Henry Ruggs was the first wide receiver off the board in just under a month. So I, I think that I don't know the order of those top three, but I think it, you're, it's looking likely that those are the top three. Yeah, so for the Jets, if they indeed take a receiver at 11, and you always talk about ice cream flavors. That's what the way you like to think in terms of these perspectives. I like ice cream. Yeah, well, I think most people do. Um, C.D. Lamb, wow. The, the bigger guy, right? If you're going to compare him right to Judy and Ruggs, C.D. Lamb's a little bit taller, six foot two. Averaged over 21 yards a catch last year. He had 24 catches of 40 yards or more at Oklahoma. His, what he does after the catch is so unique. But then you go to Judy's, 6'1", 193. Faster than C.D. Lamb. Probably the more polished route runner, right? That's what the experts will tell you. Yeah, uh, I think I think Jerry Judy, just for the record, is supposed to be one of the more elite route runners in recent memory like he, right. he's like he's similar to somebody like calvin ridley who was very polished and also went to alabama yeah so quick and uh, quick as hell polished route runner solid hands also dangerous after the catch whereas lamb's kind of the guy where he almost is, he makes his living after the catch and he's great in contested situations so i, I don't think you can go wrong either one of those guys and no, I, 
Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go, go no, ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. no, 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 because I just start going off. I thought you get excited talking about this wide receiver class. Ruggs is the kind of guy I think you have to find ways to get on the ball. I, I, I don't know if he is as refined as either one of these two guys. Is that fair to say? But in terms of versatility, he might be able to do a little bit of everything. Not saying those guys can't line up inside greens because they can, but end of rounds, lining up in the backfield, special teams, rugs might provide more value there. Yeah, I think rugs is more of a gadget than those other two. And really quickly on CeeDee Lamb, something that that I think stands out to me, that CeeDee Lamb has been productive with three different quarterbacks at Oklahoma. He was productive with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray last year, and then this year he was extremely productive with Jalen Hurts. And I know two out of those three guys were Heisman Trophy winners. And went number one overall. (laughs) Absolutely, and number one overall. But something that CeeDee Lamb said is he actually looks at somebody like DeAndre Hopkins and says, well, I want to be like him, meaning whoever's playing quarterback – for his team, he still wants to have the same production no matter who's under center. And DeAndre Hopkins did that early in his career before Deshaun Watson was drafted there. And I know that the talent is probably better at Oklahoma with Baker and Kyler and Jalen Hurts. But CeeDee Lamb had a, has had a very impressive collegiate career. And something that I spoke with at the Combine with Charles Davis, when you look at this entire wide receiver crop is he said all these teams are going to be looking for the next Debo Samuel, who was a rookie last season for the 49ers, who, to your point before about end-arounds, he was the end-around gadget guy. So a lot of teams are going to be looking for not only a receiver, but somebody that can line up in different spots and do different things. And one name that Charles Davis brought up was Jalen Rager out of TCU, who's shorter stout and he's a little more thick than somebody let's say like Justin Jefferson or Henry Ruggs but he's a little bit more of a of a gadget player and I think that this draft offers so much at receiver that if the Jets were faced with a tackle or receiver at 11 and let's say Joe Douglas in this hypothetical situation is debating between selecting one of those two I think that the train of thought that's been out there by the experts that cover the draft, the the draft gurus per se, they say, well, why would you draft a receiver at 11 knowing you could get one in round two to still start, whereas that may not be the case with the tackles. So I think it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out because you could get the very best of the best at receiver or you could get a very good player in round two if you decide to go that way. Great. Four picks in the top 79. So uh, a lot of pundits, like we, we continue to reiterate, have said that the top of the class is Judy and Lamb. Now, if the Jets don't go receiver at 11, and you do have four picks in the top 79, this class is said to be historically deep and talented, not just through the first two rounds, but through the first three rounds and we could see unprecedented numbers with all that being said who do you think could be available for the jets in the second round maybe in that fits a need and also the best player available because maybe 
one or two of these guys slip? Or is it going to be where we see a run on receivers late in that first round at the end of day one before everybody resets the board? Well, I think that you bring up a good point. And I think going back to my ice cream analogy, it's not my analogy, but I use it, where picking a receiver is like picking an ice cream flavor. It just depends what you're looking for. And, you know, I think there's probably a handful of players that are top 50 players at receiver. And it just depends which ones come off the board. Like the popular names are Brandon Ayuk, T Higgins, uh, LaVisca Chenault, who got hurt at the combine running the 40. He's somebody that also is more of a gadget player and is built like a running back. And then you think of other guys like Denzel Mims is a senior bowl player out of Baylor and his stock has skyrocketed from the senior bowl to the combine to present. And it seems like he might even creep into the back half of the first round after being like a day two, maybe day three pick. And then how about somebody like Chase Claypool, who has the size to be a tight end, ran a a low four, four, and now might find his way in day two. I mean, there's so many options at receiver for the jets in round two and round three. Even if you go back, that far, you think of guys like K.J. Hill and Austin Mack from Ohio State. You think of Sean Jefferson's son, Van Jefferson, out of Florida. I mean, there's so many different players and so many different ways that you can go that it's going to be really interesting to see when the run on the second wave of receivers start and where it ends. Okay, so Mims, Baylor, tall, rangy, like you said, seems to be... His stock is on the rise right now. A guy can win 50-50 balls. Chenault played at Colorado. Extremely productive. Thicker guy, right? Who lined up all over the place with Colorado. Um, you know, it, durability concerns, I think, a little bit uh, there. And people are going to have to check out his medical. And again, we, you know, this is a very interesting time for the National Football League in the world as a whole. Uh, but just talking draft-wise. Um, but Chenault, you look at that production he had at Colorado. You mentioned Van Jefferson. I was shocked at the Combine Greens when cornerbacks in the SEC, there were multiple guys, you know how it's all set up. We had our little Jets table, and we'd walk around each day when these guys came to the podium. When it was defensive backs day, I really stood out to me, and it was impressive. And I'm not saying this because Sean Jefferson is the Jets wide receiver coach. I'd watch interviews, and people would ask defenders, hey, who was the toughest receiver you had to cover in the SEC? And I heard on multiple occasions, Van Jefferson. Yeah, I I think Van Jefferson at the Senior Bowl, that's where the – Stock started to trend upwards because he was making a lot of people look foolish in Mobile. And then it was unfortunate because I think people were questioning his straight line speed and they were wondering what he'd run in a 40 yard dash. And then, of course, he was flagged for a foot injury and then he couldn't participate. So, you know, this is another guy that maybe given everything that's going on in the world, not having a pro day could hurt his draft stock. And it's unfortunate because of, you know, the, everybody's routine is just jacked up, not only in the NFL. I mean, you and me, like, everybody. But for guys that are hoping to make an impression on teams, whether it be in a top 30 visit or whether it be 
at a pro day, you know, you, you're kind of robbed of that chance. So it's definitely interesting times ahead as we creep forward to the draft. But long story short here, if the Jets want to select a receiver at 11, if they want to do so in rounds two, three, and four, they're going to have options. And that player, whoever he is, could very well end up being a day one contributor, if not starter for the Jets. Yeah. And and that's the encouraging thing. Um, so, a long time ago, we have to see how the rest of free agency plays out. No doubt about that. And who are the tackles on the board? Does a cornerback slip? Wouldn't it be something if Okuda started slipping on, on, on draft day? Because we started on that first night of the draft because we were talking about it yesterday. What is Detroit going to do? Is that where Miami or the L.A. Chargers are going to try to get up to? Uh, I can't imagine him slipping out of the top ten the way people talk about him. But what if what if that happened? What if uh, that would be that it, it would be mayhem. But it would be great because that's what the draft is. I live yeah. for the mayhem on draft night. <laughs> I, I just think uh, you know the edge, the top edge in this class. I don't think he's getting down to eleven. I think we can give him a Washington Redskins jersey. But you know. <laughs> And when you when when you look at the Jets roster and you know Joe Douglas has went to work on that offensive line, especially on the interior, um, and bringing in reportedly bringing in George Fan in here as well. Guys got that versatility, left tackle, right tackle. Uh, Jets are not done here in free agency. Make no mistake about that. Um, but you know you have a chance. This is all about. It's, what Joe Douglas is doing right now is wrapping his arms around number 14, his 22-year-old signal caller in Sam Darnold. And he's getting protection. He got him an interesting guy uh, now in Brashad Perryman on the outside. Uh, I know the Jets are, are probably not done there at the receiver position, of course, as well. And he could be facing – he could be – it would be a good problem to have, potentially. Judy out there. Lamb out there. Maybe a Becton out there. Um, Andrew Thomas. Maybe a corner slips. I just keep on coming back to 11 is going to be a good spot for the Jets. I just I foresee that happening because every draft is predicated on the quarterback dominoes. And I think you're going to see a few go early. Um, and then there are flashpoints. And Detroit is that early flashpoint in the draft. And then we talked a little bit about it yesterday. Arizona's move is going to be interesting because I just see that direct connection with the Jets. Yes, the Jets don't have to compete with them inside the division or the conference or anything like that, but maybe they want to get a tackle for their young quarterback, or maybe they want to pair up DeAndre Hopkins with one of these young studs. So there's that connection there. I'm looking at that spot too. So, and what does Jacksonville do? You know, and I know we went over the mock draft yesterday, but when we talk about receivers, wow, it would just certainly be something if Judy's out there and CeeDee Lamb's out there and Ruggs is out there when you're on the board at 11. Great problem to have. And I don't think it's a problem at all. And you just talked about the depth of this receiver class. There are guys going to come in in the second and third round. We didn't even talk about T. Higgins today. I mean, there are going to be guys who are going to come in in the second and third round and they're going to contribute for teams immediately. There's no doubt about it. And I think that this wide receiver class has a chance to be 
historic, as Todd McShay put it to me, in Indianapolis. He, he said he had 20 guys in his top three rounds, and some people have as many as 25. And now the draft is officially just under one month away. April 23rd is round one. April 24th, rounds two and three. And April 25th, rounds four through seven. And we'll break it all down here on the pod as we inch closer. And then, of course, once the draft actually happens, right here on the official Jet podcast powered by Amazon Web Services. EA, that was a nice little draft preview, and we'll be back at it tomorrow. So enjoy the rest of your night, and we'll catch up tomorrow. Yeah, man, no doubt about it. And I think the Mad Backer is going to make an appearance tomorrow on the podcast. Bart Scott with Olivia Landis tomorrow. So looking forward to that one.